In the world of business, profit is everything. Those that are not profitable are condemned from memory. And the most important business of all is watching anime. Welcome back to the Weekly Anime Performance Review, the show where we review the performance of anime weekly. We are your three high-powered anime business executives. I'm John, your heaping plate of bell peppers and beef. I'm Chris, high on shiitake mushrooms. And I'm Andrew, and can I have your fingernails? Like, I just need wine. So, uh, in case you couldn't tell by the title of the episode or the titles we just gave ourselves... Today we are doing our special episode on Cowboy Bebop, one of the most enduring classics in all of anime. Uh, and yes, we are discussing the anime version, not the Netflix version, so you can rest easy. But uh, the fact that it exists gives us an excuse to talk about it, so thanks for that, I guess? Well, I'd be willing to watch it, this personally, just to either be like, oh, that wasn't that bad, or to be like, oh god, this was shit. I mean, I'll admit, the first time I watched um, Cowboy Bebop, I kind of bounced off it. But uh, things are different this time. Uh, so. I don't think it's as good as people say it is. I still think it's good. But... I, for one, love this show. So as a, as a general uh, synopsis, before we get into spoilery discussion type business, um, Cowboy Bebop is about the crew of the Bebop, which is a bounty hunter ship. Uh, this this crew starts out as uh, just Jet Black, the pilot, and Spike Spiegel, the main bounty hunter, uh, who are barely scraping by and making a living in a near-future world where the Earth has basically been abandoned by humanity in exchange for the rest of the solar system, which they are slowly terraforming. Uh... Later on, they're joined by Faye Valentine, uh, another bounty hunter, and Ed, who is Ed. Also, I'm the dog, the most important one. Yes. Uh, so, first of all, uh, we talk about the production on these usually. And uh, before we talk about anything else, we just have to say that the music in this show is God tier. Yes. Yes. I know it sounds like we're we might have some stuff to like discuss and debate later on, but this is the one thing that I will say is beyond reproach. The music in the show is fantastic. Oh no, I agree with that. And the way it's edited is really great too. There's a lot of times when, uh, like there's a couple examples in this show of where they just like cut off the music super super suddenly, which is very jarring, but has a very neat effect on the story. Like the the example that I can specifically think of is in the episode about. Faye's backstory, like when she hears a car crash in the distance and the music cuts out instantly from like the fun like car chase to silence. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that is really cool to me. Like not only are the compositions good, but they're incorporated really, really well. It feels like it's integrated with the show. And uh yeah. I also really like the like design of all the spaceships. I think they're really cool. And how, like, all of their individual ships kind of fold up for easy storage, but then unfurl. And you can kind of understand how they work from, like, 
a physics perspective. Like, it doesn't feel like they just fly around because that's how they do. Yeah, a lot of it is, like, um, it's, it's a lot more hard sci-fi than you typically get in anime. Mm -hmm. uh, because, for one thing, there's, like, very limited faster-than-light travel. Like, they do have, like, the hyperspace gates, but it's pretty limited compared to something like Star Trek, where they just, like... Yeah, when the ship is able to hyperspace itself. And I think this also, for how sci-fi it is, it's also a Western. Like, in the same vein as, like, Trigun and stuff. Yes, it's it's a Western, especially in the sense that it's, like, you know, humanity's on a new frontier. Uh, Pretty much no law. Law kind of fails to protect uh, people, and so, you know, people have to take it into their own hands. You know, there's bounty hunters that, you know, are called cowboys as part of the slang mm -hmm. which is where the title comes from uh contrary to the belief of some there is no uh character in this show called cowboy bebop i mean arguably the ship could be called that because it, it yeah, is I mean, a yeah the ship, ship is called the bebop and in sci-fi shows the ship is kind of a character most of the time sure and especially the bebop uh it's, it's like one of those things where like by the end of the show you feel like you know the layout of the ship really well but yeah, I, I will also give a lot of credit to the production design of the like the machinery and everything. Mm -hmm. I've said many times on this show that I am like, I, I have a borderline fetish for like really well drawn two D machines, uh, and like machines like whirring in and out of each other and you know gears turning and stuff like that. So like you know seeing like the ships unfold and like the you know their retro rockets fire to correct their position in zero gravity, shit like that is fucking so cool to me. This is kind of a stupid thing but i really love sci-fi doors and like video games and anime like just watching them open because like they like they're not always like the most effective way to open a door but they usually look cool as fuck you should uh, you should play metroid prime <laughs> anyway uh but yes the production of the design of this show is amazing and obviously it's it's like some of the animation goes like even in just the first episode they, they're pretty conservative with action scenes in the show, actually. But when they happen, they go they go hard. I feel like there's at least some sort of action in every episode. Mm -hmm. Like, even just in the first episode, like the scene where uh, Asimov attacks Spike with a knife and he's, like, weaving, weaving around it and kicking him. Shit is so cool. God. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I will say against the show is that it's it's a terrible binge because the episodes are intentionally cyclical. And so, like, you get a lot of the same story beats. And so while they might be flavored differently for each episode, it still gets kind of monotonous to binge through. Yeah. Well, it's almost 20... I think it's pretty much 24 episodes of very episodic um, find a bounty, chase the bounty down. Oh, bounty dies, we don't get money. Like, that. that's most of those episodes. Well, it, it's the, the, the formula is always like, um, you know, they have a bounty. They think, oh, this is our big break. We're going to be living easy. Uh, it turns out to be a more complicated job than they expected. Uh, there's twists and turns. Something gets revealed and the bounty dies and they don't actually get to collect it. Right. But and uh, I, I will say I will defend this by saying there there can be comfort in formula. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also think there's thematic significance to that, but we can get into that later. 
Yeah, there's this is gonna this is this this episode's gonna have a meaty theme section. But I think we've pretty well covered the production. Uh, it's it's kinda hard to talk about story when like we said, it's it's a very kind of formulaic show with variations on a theme. Uh There are some threads that continue throughout the show, though, uh, most prominent of which is uh, Spike's past continuing to come back to haunt him, uh, particularly uh, in the episode five when Vicious first shows up in the two-parter in the middle of the show uh, with Gren and Vicious, and then the final two-parter uh, where Julia finally appears. Uh but I kind of want to talk about all that in the theme section. The one right before it with Faye figuring out her past. Yes, yes. The, the, the Another big through line, of course, is uh, is Faye's past, of course. So it, it's a big theme in this show that uh, the characters' pasts never leave them behind. Although for Jet, it's much less of a negative thing. Like, there's a couple episodes about Jet's backstory, but a lot of times, like, Jet will know somebody is like a way to get the story going like he'll know a cop that works on the the, the moon that they're on or yeah because he's a former cop yeah he's Better. he's an ex-cop yeah. he's i think he was sort of like part of the space fbi or something do we want to structure this as kind of, we go through each characters and like their stories slash significance to the themes yeah so the first character that I would like to talk about, uh, as I've just mentioned, is Jet. I want to start with Jet because he, to me, seems to be the most stable of uh, the group. He's a bit older than the rest of them. I think Spike and Faye are... Well, Spike is in his late 20s. Faye is... We'll get to her. Uh, <laughs> but Jet is comfortably middle-aged. Uh, and I would say he's ha he encounters the most success uh, in terms of, you know, staying out of trouble and kind of moving on from things. To me, the big theme here, of course, is that uh, people find it very difficult to escape their past when they would really be better off leaving it alone. You know, it's it's a very common trope, even just in fiction in general, to have characters have like a checkered past, of course, and then by the end of the story, they have somehow like gone back and fixed things or made things right or something like that. Uh, but in this show, all of the characters have checkered pasts and they pretty much have the opportunity to move on, but they choose not to and it gets worse for them because of it. So, for example, there's the episode where Jet uh, meeting an, an old flame of his, and it turns out that that her boy, her new boyfriend, has a bounty, and so that kind of, so his, his showing up again kind of makes everything worse. But of course, that's a that's a much more mild example than we get to with some of the other characters. I feel like Jet is the one character who is able to move on from his past, because pretty much every episode he's in that's focused on like the aforementioned. Uh, old flame episode it ends with the bounty turns out to just be like like he's probably gonna get off in like a year or so and so he's just like hey you just stick with him you made this choice and then he tosses the clock that 
she had given him before into the water. It's kind of like he's moving on from that. And, and then, then later on, on he, um, in, a in a different, different episode, episode, he uh, has, has the, the chance, chance to go face-to-face face face with, with the um, criminal who uh, caused him to lose an arm because he has a robot arm with his, his old partner. partner. But, but it turns out his old partner had turned on him, and both his partner and the criminal both died. And so that part's kind of closure for him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think, yeah, those are like the big jet episodes for sure. Uh, but yes, he's definitely the one who's successful in terms of moving on. Uh, which brings us to Faye Valentine. Sure, we shouldn't do Ed first. <laughs> I mean, does Ed really have something here? I mean, Ed Ed is able to be carefree because she has no past. And she's able and um uh she leaves the crew of the Bebop in the third to last episode because she's able she doesn't have a past to tie her down and so she doesn't need that support system to escape it. And so she's able to leave the cycle. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's another thing. Is of course is cycles, um, and she's the one who's like least tied into it. So she gets out while she can. Oh, also, uh, Jet does bonsai trees, which I just adore. So yes, Ed uh, is not quite as tied in, which is why she's able to escape and find new life for herself. Now, uh, I think we can talk about Faye. So Faye. Uh, her whole thing is that uh, she doesn't quite know her past because she was frozen uh, in, uh, in after an accident because at the time that she was young, uh, medical technology had not advanced to the point where she could be saved, but eventually it did. Unfortunately, she's now trapped in medical debt with no memory of how she got there. She's not just trapped in medical debt. She's trapped in a medical debt scam. It's not just she's in debt. It's like she's in overwhelming debt and this guy fake dies and gives her more debt. Like, it's a lot. Yeah, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Faye, uh, there are a couple episodes where they, uh, where she investigates her background. Uh, most notably when, uh, when the person who deceived her upon her awakening shows up again and the episode where spike and jet find an old betamax of her home movies it's not just they find it it's delivered to them from like 50 years ago and then lastly when she does finally figure it out and go home and find everything and she does like find where she came from but it doesn't really bring her any satisfaction because Mm -hmm. there's nothing there anymore She's really just as rudderless as she was before. Like, the only person who recognized her is an old lady in a wheelchair. She's kind of been given the gift of an open future, but doesn't really see it that way, unfortunately. She's looking for a place to belong. Yeah. I think she's realized that by the end. 
Because I think Spike is really the only one who truly doesn't escape his past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because by the end, Faye is just like, I'm going to stay on the Bebop because that's really all I know at this point. And she doesn't really outright say it, but she says, I found my place to return to. And like in the moment, it's implied to be like, oh, she found the house that was destroyed. But I think what she really means is she found the Bebop and their crew who she can pretty much go back to whenever she needs to. Well, and all this happens right when Spike leaves for what ends up being the last time. And so it's like this twist is not, but it's like she realizes what she's kind of been ignoring right when it's too late. Because believe it or not, this an- a theme in this anime is found family. Surprise. And lastly, of course, we have our boy, Spike Spiegel. Uh, who, like Chris said, is really the one who truly fails to escape the past. He he used to be uh, essentially a hitman for the syndicate, but he left that life behind, and uh, with it he left uh, behind Julia, uh, his uh, former lover. Julia is still definitely very important to him. Um, whenever Vicious shows up, he prods him about it, because that's just the kind of fellow Vicious is. I'm pretty sure... One of the scenes that he remembers is Julia and Vicious being in bed together. He might prod him because Vicious can't escape his past either about that, so... I also feel like it doesn't necessarily matter what the actual past between Spike and Vicious is. It's more that they are bound together. Yeah. So, basically every time Spike's past comes up in an episode... Every other character tells him, hey, you really don't have to get involved with this anymore. You could just, like, not. And he's like, no, I have to. Mm-hmm. And and everyone's like, why? And he's like, I just do. <laughs> and it never goes well for him. Yeah. Well, I think the reason why he keeps getting involved is because he... Like, Julia is one of the first people that he truly cares about it seems, and I think he thinks that she died because of his past. Yeah, I don't think that he knows if... I I think... Am I wrong in saying that he doesn't know if she's alive or dead? I know he doesn't know. I don't know which one exactly he thinks. I I would assume he's pessimistic about it. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's pretty significant that, like, Spike considers his life to already be over. He like he behaves very impulsively a lot of the time because like he doesn't really believe that the consequences of his actions matter because he's like whatever, I'm just going until I die. I don't care. But he he even starts in the first episode saying I've already died. Yeah. He's he's so he considers his life to already be over. Uh so he so he tries to throw it away all the time. And in the and in the end, of course, he does. Also, to anybody who makes up some wacky theory about how he lived at the end, I'm sorry. No, that would be stupid. I mean, he it could be said that he did some good right before the end and stopping vicious, but also, what good did it really do? It just created a power vacuum in a crime syndicate that's gonna get filled by someone, you know? Yeah, I mean, like he he like fucked up one building, sure, but the syndicate is still there. <laughs> 
Yes, obviously, the major theme that I've been harping on is um, the signif- is is being able to move on from the past and being caught in cycles, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that is the cycle of, you know, poverty and, you know, essentially living paycheck to paycheck. Obviously, it's a bit different for these characters because they are, you know, bounty hunters. Their work is a lot more irregular. But they essentially live from bounty to bounty. Like, a, a frequent point is made that, like, between jobs, they... They have no money. Yeah, no food. All of the money they earn from their bounties gets spent on repairing the ship and, you know, and, like, the cost of being in business and, you know, the cost of the damage they do in the process of doing their jobs. Uh, <clears throat> so it's not exa- So it's not exactly, like, an idyllic future. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that bounty hunting is such a common profession is uh, a testament to that. I think this is honestly one of the most likely science fiction futures, <laughs> as depressing as that sounds. I mean, it's the same universe as Carol and Tuesday. Is it actually? Yeah, it's made by the same director. Oh, shit. And, and apparently... No, that checks out. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so I haven't wouldn't... seen that one either. Unfortunately, we weren't able to watch the movie uh, for this podcast because the um, we couldn't find it streaming anywhere. But I think that Carol and Tuesday takes place in the same city that the movie Cowboy Bebop takes place in. Carol? I think Carol and Tuesday takes place like 100 years after... I think it takes the place. Settling I think it's. Mars? I think it's contemporary. So they're at the same time then, or so. Like, not exactly, but I think close to it. And I also think going back to the theme of cycles, um, Spike pretty much sees what people who can't let go of their past happens to them, like with Gren, with Lee, or Lynn. And like how the two of them pretty much die because they're unable to move on. Whereas, and he sees that and just still holds on. Yeah, because every time that his past has brought up more people that he knew die. Mm -hmm. For various reasons, because they can't let go. Well, I will say, um, Guy might have just been doing his job and being like, oh, I'm just doing it for the organization. That's, you know. But Grell, for sure, yeah. I think, I'm just going to get into my problem with this. Is that, since the theme is about cycles and escaping your past, whatever, it's, most of these episodes feel pointless. And I feel like you could tell the similar story with half as many episodes. I mean, yes, that it, the fact that they wind up not like amounting to anything is the point that it's the, that they're trapped in a cycle. Right, but like, um, for example, they have one episode where the bounties are a bunch of eco terrorists, and like they don't even try and they don't even touch that topic at all. Like they, they could at least have a little thing or two about, oh, are they really all that bad? Or like they're trying to stop this from happening. But, you know, like 
I don't know. I just feel like they waste so much possible stuff with all the scenarios that they get into to have a little comment or two about it. It doesn't bother me too much because like, it's more focused on our characters than like what they deal with each week. Uh, you know, in lieu of like a very, very elaborate plot, this show is obviously very character driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more about how each character interacts with the story than how, than like the specific scenario. And I think they kind of poke fun at that in the episode Cowboy Funk when there's the bomber guy who he'll be like, he's like, do you want to know the reason why I'm blowing things up? But the characters just kind of ignore him whenever he starts that and he gets interrupted because the show, while it will while it may present these themes, it doesn't necessarily, and it's not about those themes. Yes, but then you can argue that the theme in that one is actually Spike not liking himself in the fact that his copy of him, um, Andy, I think, um, who's very similar to him, he he doesn't like him, and it's could be something said about how Spike doesn't like himself. Yeah, I would agree that that's the theme of the episode. Right, the bomber is not even close to the point of that at all. Like, Yeah, and I'm saying that the point isn't the, necessarily the bounties, it's the characters. Yeah, every, every one of these is like a, a learning moment for one of the characters, or multiple of them. Uh, like we talked about with the Jupiter Jazz two-parter, how like Spike, you know, sees Gren not be able to escape his past, and he's like, "Well, I'm not going to learn anything from this." <laughs> also, I want that pink puffy jacket he has in that episode. I just think it, it's it's too many episodes of the same thing happens and nothing results from it. I mean, I think that they do a good job of varying it up by you know focusing on different characters, uh, so you know you get. It's kind of like how in, you know, like Next Generation, it's very, you know, formulaic as well. Uh, but each episode is sort of, you know, sometimes you get a Data episode or a or a Worf episode or a Troy episode or whatever. It's kind of the same thing here where, you know, it'll be a, a Spike episode or a Jet episode or a Faye episode. Occasionally an Ed episode. There's also some ones, yeah, there's, there's and else, it's not necessarily that cut and dry, of course. And there's also different tones for each episode so while the plots might be the same they're still they're not all just the same episode like you have episodes like mushroom samba where it's just kind of a fun adventure ed goes on a fun adventure to find food and then you have an episode like toys in the attic where spike accidentally leaves some food in the refrigerator too long and it escapes to poison the rest of the crew. Which is something we said about your past. Yeah. Don't let don't leave things in the fridge too long or it'll kill you. That's the theme of this show. I mean honestly. If the fridge is a metaphor for life, then yeah. I guess it's just my problem is just that it's like I feel like they could have done a little bit more in each episode. Well, it could be because there's this cycle of this is one of the first more 
anime about adults doing adult things. Um, and in addition to all the stuff we've talked about, and so adults are able to connect that better. And so then it's the cycle of being recommended to people as the first one they should go see, and then they recommend it to others as the first one they should see. Well, it's also, it was created to be a, like, like, it wasn't created to just be for Japanese people. It was created with an international audience in mind. Like, that's why all the episodes end with an English title card, because English is one of the most widely spoken languages. And it, um, when it was being produced, I don't think we saw it in the Netflix version, but, um, the screen in the middle, you know, that goes full metal alchemist brotherhood. Um, I don't know the name of that screen. It was sandwiched by, um, a genre of its own or something. Yeah, like there's like a whole manifesto that appears. Yeah. Like, I think it's in the OP as well. Maybe. But the whole point is that it's like any, unlike anything you've seen before, um, which was it or not is debatable. Well, I think it's because uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, the director, wanted to create something that wasn't just the standard sci-fi like um, Star Star Wars or Gundam. He wanted to make something more down to earth. I agree. I'm not saying that that's not what he did, but I'm saying like, is it a genre of its own? I don't know. You know, that's that's not the debate that I'm going to even touch on here right now. I don't know. I think this show is pretty dang neat. <laughs> I'm leaning more towards John than Andrew. I think it's a great show. Like, I want to be clear. I think this is a great show, like, pretty good. I just don't know if it's um, quite the level that everyone says it is. Here's something very special for you guys. You guys, uh, as is the tradition on this podcast, get to vote on what uh, we will do for our January OVA episode. Uh, your choices this time are Tengen, Tapa, Gurren Lagan, Super Crooks, and Nichi Joe. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Waffercast to go Wait. vote on that poll. When it, uh, so be sure to vote on that poll. Anyway, uh, yes, follow us on Twitter at Waffercast, please. I would really appreciate it. This has been your weekly anime performance review special episode on Cowboy Bebop. I've been John, your heaping plate of bell peppers and beef. I've been Chris, your cabbage beat boot. And I've been Andrew, Bebop, Ravioli. <laughs>